all of a sudden we start thinking that like that's our enemy and he's our enemy and she's our enemy and they're our enemy and we don't see it for what it is. And Paul kind of outlines this for us briefly in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. It's kind of our theme verse for the, for the series. And he says, for our struggle, your struggle, the war that you're really in is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So your battle is not flesh and blood. It's not against him or her or them. And Paul reminds us that there is this unseen realm. There is this uh, invisible war. And he, he even says, he's like, there are rulers and authorities and powers and spiritual forces of evil. And he's like, and it is here, it is there that your, your true struggle, the true war, lies. And it's really important for us to realize this as we, as we kind of endeavor in, in, in this, this sermon series that if we don't see the war for what it truly is, we will mistake our brothers and our sisters in Christ and our friends and our family and our flesh and blood for enemies. And we fail to see who our true enemy is and what is really truly at stake. Does that make sense? So um, I'd love if you turn with me to Mark chapter 5. And uh, it, it, in verse 1, we're going we're gonna to begin here in just a second. But this is like uh, one of the, the most well-known demonic encounters that, that Jesus had in his earthly ministry that is well-documented. And um, it, maybe, you're, maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you don't know your Bible that well. You've probably at least heard this story or parts of this story because it, it's cray-cray. I mean, there is a lot that happens in this portion of Scripture. So if you would, um, if you'd stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. I know you've been up and down, but um, I, just, I just really want to bring honor to God's Word today. And he says in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1, he says this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What's your name? My name is Legion, he replied for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs, this is where it gets really crazy, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside and the, the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Don't eat the fish. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. 
when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to please leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the, in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. Lord, even though this seems to not match up with what our Monday looked like, Lord, we, we do believe that this is the word of God. And so God, I pray that you would reveal to us what it is that we're supposed to learn about the unseen realm, to learn about the invisible war that wages in and around us. And God, more than anything, that we would see the victory in you, the authority we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So this is quite a story. This is um, like whenever I read the Bible, I, I always... I've always done this. I always like put myself into, I like imagine myself in the story like a fly on the wall. And this, um, this is weird. This is odd to, to say the least. And this is one of those accounts in the Bible that seems to be at odds with our own personal life experience. Now, maybe some of us have had experience with the demonic. I've had experience with the demonic. None um, to this extreme but certainly have had experience with, with, with the demonic and the demonic operating in and through people. Um, just talking with somebody yesterday, I was at a funeral and they've got some, uh, their, their, their daughter and, and son-in-law minister in an island off the coast of Africa and they have a demoniac on the island. Legit, she was telling me this yesterday. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm preaching on the demoniac. She said, oh yeah. She's cutting, her, cutting herself and, and just freaking out, running around, all this stuff. And I'm like, this is crazy. So, so the reality is, is that that stuff, to some degree, still is an operation. And so we have this temptation. When we read stories like this and they don't match up to what happened on Monday, then we, then we have this temptation to relegate this, this Mark 5, 1 through 20 into... Well, it's a story, or it's a fairy tale of sorts, if you will. Um, and um, maybe it's just kind of a story that's held within the world of the Bible times, right? Like, almost, almost we kind of are like, well, okay, then oh, I believe that happened because it's in the Word of God, but it's kind of like that. That's in a different world. It's not like 2020. 2020 is a very different world that we live in. They don't really intersect, and so I believe that it happened, but it doesn't, I don't know what it really means for me today. C.S. Lewis writes in, uh, in his book, one of his famous books, Screwtape Letters. He says this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. 
those two things. And, and, and isn't it true? Like, that's kind of like where we like to fall into one of those two camps. It's like, um, I have Christian friends that would say, oh, I, don't, I don't believe that demons exist, or I don't believe that demons are in operation today. And for, for, many, for many people, even in our, in our current world, 2020 would say, yeah, I, I don't really think that that, that that kind of stuff happens, and it's not really for today. And then there's other people, as I'm preaching about this, and they're like, I'm talking about the, the spiritual warfare. You're like, hallelujah, finally we're talking about something real, Right? We're talking about the real stuff that's going on. Thank you, Jesus. And you're excited. Why? Because you're just, I mean, this is, a, this is kind of the stuff that you see and the stuff that, you, that, that you're interested in. And so here's, here's the thing that my aim is to do today. My aim is to kind of take like this, what C.S. Lewis says, of these two kind of camps that we can fall into, and, and, and to thread the needle, if you will. To come to this place of like, okay, the, the reality is that there is this existence of demons and yet we don't want to have an unhealthy interest in them. Because the reality is they're losers. So, so, so we talk about them. Why? Because in any war, the first step to victory is to know your enemy. Knowing your enemy, talking about your enemy doesn't mean that they actually hold a candle in this fight in this war. Can we, can we just understand that first and foremost? Okay. Um, so if some of you are like, man, I just don't know why we're talking about demons in church. I mean, that should not be a thing that we do. The reality is it's important for us to know our enemy. It does not mean, nor anything that I want to share today will, will prop up a demonic activity over what Jesus wants to do in and through your life. Amen? Okay. So, I need you to come along with me on that. And, and no matter where you're at, maybe you're already getting a little jiggy about this and like, oh, I don't really know. Martha, why are we here? And you're kind of like, you're like, I don't really know. Just take a breath. It's okay. We're going to walk down through this. But here's the thing that if we're going to walk through it together is this, I need us to come to this, at least this agreement that the Bible is, is not a fictional book. That the, the, the stories and the words within it are the word of God. That God puts things in his word so that we can, we can get something out of that. And, and not only that, but, but this, this story, this account in particular that we just read through is a real occurrence with a real man in a real town who met a real savior. Can we do that? Okay. If we can do that, then we can move forward. Here we go. Um, it, let me just take, take a step back here. If you're taking notes, your first kind of fill in the blank is this. Demons really do exist. Demons really do exist. In fact, um, they're part of this rulers and authorities and powers and spiritual forces of evil that Paul just outlined in Ephesians 6 verse 12. The word demon is found about 80 times in your Bible. And the interesting thing is that it's found 61 times it's mentioned in the Gospels regarding Jesus dealing with the demonic. So, if demons are not real, then we are forced to dismiss a lot of the Bible. If demons are not real, then we're forced to kind of like discount a lot of what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. I just want to, if you start looking through and you've read through the Gospels and seen the things that Jesus has done, not just healings, but casting out demons, bringing freedom, and, and 
if, that, if that's not real, then we've got to discount a whole lot of things that, that Jesus did in his earthly ministry. And some of you may be wondering, like, that's interesting that there's 61 times out of the 80 times um, in, in the scriptures. Why, why are those, is there so much demonic activity around Jesus? One of the reasons, I believe, is that because no one had complete authority over demons until Jesus came on the scene. And he freaked them out. We see in Mark chapter 5, they're peeing their pants if they had them, right? Like, they they come completely unglued. They start freaking out. So, demons are, are, are disembodied spirits, also known as like fallen angels. We see that throughout Scripture. There's a, there's a part in Revelation chapter 12 where um, there's a, John sees like this war in heaven and Satan was, was cast out of heaven and a third of the angels went with him. And that's kind of like where we pull these like fallen angels, disembodied spirits, the, the demons, and you're like, well, how many were there? I don't know, a lot, way too many than you can probably count. And some of you are like, well, I don't, wow, this, okay, I'm getting a little jiggy talking about the, about demons, and he, here's the thing. I've got good news for you, and it's just, it's held within simple math. If, if demons represent a third of the angels that fell, right? They fell. A third of the angels fell. Simple math will tell you that for every one that is against you, two are for you. Amen. So if you're like, oh man, I see a demon everywhere, there's a demon there, there's a demon on you, and like, and you get all freaked out. I just want you to understand, for every one that is against you, you have two that are for you. And, and one of the one that is for you could take care of all of the ones that are against you. See, we can kind of get to this place where um, I think it's some of like the, no offense, but it's kind of like the Star Wars culture that we live in right now where there's kind of like this, the good and the bad, right? There's like this, the dualistic nature of the world that we live in that we look at and it's like, well, it's, it's good versus evil and it's God versus Satan. Almost as if they're like evenly matched and it's like tit for tat and one strikes and the other strikes and the other strikes and the other strikes and, they're, and, and, and it's like, oh my goodness, this is, this is, they're, they're so evenly matched. The reality is they're, is no even match here. There's no even match. That is, that is not the case. Always remember, the kingdom of darkness cannot even contend with the kingdom of light. Light doesn't, or darkness doesn't fight with light. You shine light in darkness and darkness flees. So there's not this dualistic nature where it's like, oh man, who's going to win? Is it going to be Satan? Is it going to be God? Listen, God already won. It's already been decided. Satan's a loser and he's just a sore loser. Okay? So, Revelation chapter 20. Let me show you. This is even, this is so cool. Uh, Revelation chapter 20. John sees a, a future vision where Satan himself is chained and thrown into the pit. Now, you know who does this? You know who chains Satan up and throws him in the pit? You think, well, it's probably Jesus, right? And probably God himself is like, well, I got to deal with the big guy, Satan. So, um, you know, we're, you guys can handle the, the, the small guys, but, but Satan, I, I, I'm going to have to handle him myself. I'm going to go down, I'm going to chain him up, and I'm going to chuck him down into the pit. You know who does it? You, read, you actually read that scripture? A nameless angel. It's almost like God's up there. It's just kind of like, you know what? I've had enough of this, 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 this. I've had enough of him. 
Uh, who should I send to go, to go chain him up, throw him in the pit? Uh, just send the new guy. Send the, I don't care. Just make sure you say in Jesus' name, you'll be good. Don't worry about it, right? There's this reality. That we sometimes, that when we get overly focused on these kind of the demonic realm, we're like, oh my gosh, like the, the darkness is going to overpower the light. It's not true. There's kind of this like fear that that might happen, but that, that is not necessarily based in anything regarding Scripture. So, the other thing is that demons seek to con gain control and influence over humans and apparently even animals, which is why I've always wondered why I don't like cats. <laughs> just saying. I'm just saying. I could feel your hate right now. I could feel that. It's not cool. It's not cool. Listen, it's okay. It's okay, though. I, I, I don't mind. I don't mind. The issues and the concerns and the fears that, that rise up when we start talking about kind of the demonic come from this, this term that is translated in most of our English Bibles, which is demon-possessed. We see that in this scripture in Mark chapter 5. It talks about the demon-possessed man. We see uh, other, other portions of scripture that, you know, this man was possessed by demons or demon-possessed. And our modern horror movies do not help us in this. Honestly, I, 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 can't, I can't watch horror movies, not because I'm a scaredy cat. I just, they, they freak me out. I, I'm, I'm just not into them. Now, now the problem is, is that when, you, when you're looking at uh, these modern horror movies as, well, this is what demon possession looks like, then, then what happens is we start to kind of think, well, if, if she's not levitating off of her bed, then she doesn't have any demonic problems. If I'm not running around naked living in a cemetery, then I'm all good. I'm all good, right? Like, look to your neighbor and be like, hey, if you, if you see me running naked and living in a cemetery, you tell me I, I, I'm too far gone, right? You know what I mean? Like, there's this reality that, like, when we, when we start to take a look and, and, and we have this kind of modern um, horror films and all this kind of stuff, we think, well, well I, I'm not that, so that, therefore, this isn't what I'm experiencing, but this, this word demon-possessed is kind of, I'll say a bad translation. It's not necessarily a wrong translation. It's just um, when, when we see the word possessed in our English, it automatically implies ownership or total control, right? In other words, like this demon owns you and possesses you and you can't do anything to stop it. This, this demon owns you. But the actual word, the actual word in the Greek is, is daimonizomai, and its definition is this, to be under the influence of a demon. That's it. Not, not, not own, not, there's no ownership, there's no, this, you know, I, I, you're, you're mine, I own you. It's just simply to be under the influence of a demon or, or demonized. It's not on you, in you, above you, uh, owning you. It is simply under the influence of a demon or demonized. This is the reason why I titled the message OUI, Operating Under the Influence, right? Operating Under the Influence. Think about it. When somebody gets pulled over and they get charged with an OUI, right? Operating under the influence of a, you know, drugs or alcohol, whatever that looks like. <clears throat> Nobody looks at them and says, oh, they were possessed by drugs, Right? 
well, what, what was the problem, sir? I, I'm, I'm possessed by alcohol right now, so, officer. No, no, no. You're not, you're not possessed by the... Alcohol, alcohol doesn't own you, but there, there, there certainly is a, um, a operating under the influence of alcohol, operating under the influence of drugs. Now, now this is where the caveat comes in. It's this. Did that person invite those drugs into themselves? Yeah. Did they, did they drink or that alcohol? Yes. They certainly invited that influence into themselves, um, but they're not possessed over that thing, right? But it begins to gain more and more influence over somebody. And we see this in, in, uh, in drug addiction. It's a, kind of probably our best, you know, example in, in today's world is, is as, as how drug addiction can kind of gain more and more mastery and influence over somebody. Those of you who have experienced that or you have friends or family members that are drug addicted, you watch as the, it started out with, I'm just trying this drug and then it becomes a habit and it becomes this addiction and it becomes to have more and more influence and mastery over somebody. It doesn't possess them, but it certainly comes to steal, kill, and, and to destroy who they truly are. And so you can look at a family member or a friend and be like, they don't even resemble who they used to be because of the influence of this drug, this, this addiction over their life. We see this, you know, time and time again. You can certainly come under the influence of the demonic. And so for years, Christians have said like, well, you know, you can't be a Christian and be demon-possessed. And I completely agree. You cannot be owned by God and also owned by Satan. But the reality is, is that you can certainly come under the influence. I, look, there are things that I've said that have come out of my mouth that I'm like, uh, that wasn't of God. Right? There, there are things that, that I've spoken over my own life that I'm like, uh, that was certainly not very godly. In other words, like, it is, it is sometimes very simple for us to come under the influence of the demonic. And sometimes it's just a mindset. Sometimes it's a generational thing that has been passed down. Well, that's just the way things always have been. That's the way women deal with things in our family. That's the way that things always will be because they never change. That's just the way things are. And we'd see this kind of play itself out. We see a great example of this, and this is with the apostle Peter. Peter gets rebuked by Jesus for kind of saying, oh, Jesus, you know, you don't need to die. You're, you know, this isn't going to happen. Well, I'll never let this happen to you. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, Jesus turns to Peter and he says this to Peter. Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. Excuse me? Excuse me, Jesus? Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind, uh, have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, is Jesus looking at Peter and is like, you are Satan. Get behind me. Right behind me. Just walk behind me. No. He's not calling Peter Satan, but he is calling out the mindset, the things that, are speak, that he's speaking out of his mouth, that he's under the influence of, that are not of God. And he's saying, that which you're saying, I don't accept, get behind me, Satan. He's not speaking to Peter, he's speaking to the elemental principle that's behind what Peter is saying, that is not, not of God very clear when we see this in our own life, you know? Jack Hayford, 
uh, says this. He says, you cannot cast out the flesh and you cannot disciple a demon. I'll say that again because it's a little, you don't have to write it down. You cannot cast out the flesh and you cannot disciple a demon. The reality is, is in all of our lives, we require both deliverance and discipleship, right? We all come to God broken with things that God needs to heal, to mend, to free bondage from, and to release captives, right? Like we come to him captive, he brings freedom to us, and then there's also this element of discipleship, that we need to beat back our flesh, that we need to disciple our flesh to come into alignment with the word of God. Those two things come hand in hand. It's not just, you can't disciple a demon. You cast it out. Okay, we'll keep moving. Sometimes there are areas in our life where we sin over and 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 over again, and we get to this place where we're like, I don't know, I just have this weakness in this area, you know, I just, I keep trying to, you know, beat back my flesh in this area, and it's just not working, and it's like, well, okay, how long has it been? It's been about, I don't know, 25 years. Okay, you may not have a weakness of your flesh. You may have a demonic stronghold. And those two things are dealt with differently. Now, not, not, not drastically differently. You know how they're dealt with? By running to Jesus. God, make me, mold me, break me, shape me. Do what it is that you need to do in me so that I can live for you. And sometimes we get all hung up on like, well, I don't know. Like, what exactly are you, are you saying here, Pastor Justin? You're talking about demons and me, and I don't like that. That sounds kind of weird. Isn't it interesting that like even last week I can talk about strongholds, and, and people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I think I might have a stronghold. That sounds, yeah, I like that. And as soon as you say the word, demon, you feel that? It's like a fence rises up in you. It's like, who are you talking to? Demon. I have a stronghold, but you shut your mouth. You talk about me having any sort of demonic stronghold, anything. Get, you get out of my face, Pastor Justin. I, respectfully, I, I feel it. Right? But there's this, there's this thing that rises up in us. Could it be more than just our own emotions? Because what I find is that demons don't like to be talked about when they're being called out. They're very happy operating under the surface, either having us not believe in their existence or to be overly focused on them. But they don't like to be called out. I have good news for you, though. I have good news for you. I know the one who can set you free. And this, this reality that, that demons were at work, we look in Mark chapter 5, at work in, in lives of people in Jesus' day, and they're still at work today. It's still the same world, the same earth, the same globe, sucking the same oxygen. Just a few hundred years, right? Different in here. Nothing has necessarily changed in those two spheres. Jesus still sets people free. Jesus is still the answer to whatever ails you. He is still the chain breaker. He is still the freedom maker. He still takes your shame and gives you something that you don't deserve in return grace and mercy forevermore. It's a beautiful thing. So, understand this. Demons really do exist. They really can influence you. But that doesn't even compare to what Jesus wants to do in your life.
There's no fight. There's no, oh man, who's going to win? Jesus or, or Satan? These demons going to overpower Jesus? No, no, that actually just does, doesn't happen. And we see this, and I want you to see this as we dig down into the scripture, the amazing authority, the amazing power of Jesus Christ. When he confronts darkness, darkness flees. I mean, this is legit what we're about to walk through here, that he frees this guy instantly from bondage to freedom, from death to life. And he desires to do that in each and every single one of you. So I don't care if you walked in here today and you're like, man, I just don't even know if I feel about this Jesus thing. I thought this was Home Depot. Uh, somebody tricked me and now I'm here and I don't even know if I believe any of this. I just want you to know if maybe you walked in here and, and you're like, this is my last ditch effort. I, you run to Jesus and Jesus wants to free you. Not bring shame, guilt, or condemnation, but freedom forevermore. So, let's walk down through this. Mark chapter 5. Um, Jesus gets off a boat, and uh, he is met by a demonized man who is under the influence of many, 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 many demons. And uh, I want you to get a picture of this. First off, Luke's gospel, Luke's account, um, gives us a little detail, a little more detail than that. And he says that this man was naked. So there's that. Just imagine being one of Jesus' disciples in the boat, and they're just like, do 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 Jesus, turn around right now. Turn around right now. There's a naked man running towards us right now. No, we're not stopping here. This is not the vacation that we were looking for. This is a nudist colony. I, you know what I mean? They're just like, this is, this is not going well. This man is naked. Here's, here's the reality. They would have heard him coming before they saw him coming. Why? Because on his ankles and on his wrists, he had chains that he had broken, just completely snapped. So as he's running towards Jesus, he's clinking and clanking and clinking and clanking. He wasn't completely naked. He just wasn't wearing where he should be wearing them. He's just clinking and clanking and clinking and clanking as he's coming to Jesus. Now the townspeople had given up on him. Nobody wanted to be around this guy. Parents told their kids, just stay away from him. Don't even go near where this guy is. Nobody came out to visit him. And even if they did, it wasn't to bring him freedom. It was to chain him up even more. And then he just break free. Oh, I got to go chain up the demoniac. Come on, let's get the whole town together. Let's do this thing. Have you ever had friends like that? You know, you, you, you wish that they would bring you freedom and instead they bring you more bondage. You're like, you think, man, you could set me free with these words, and yet you just bring more shame, guilt, and condemnation to my life. This poor man is terrorized. And people just kind of, rather than bring him freedom, just bring him more of the same. More bondage, more guilt, more shame. And he's also very loud. The Bible says that he's screaming all the time. Just screaming, day and night. He probably had a ZZ Top beard. That's just, that's just for me. Because um, you don't shave when you're that. You know what I mean? And so he's got a ZZ Top beard. He, he cuts himself with stones. He's cutting himself. He's got open gashes. And he probably resembles more of an animal than a human. If you think about this. He's more animalistic than he is human. Oh, yeah. And he doesn't have a house. He doesn't live in an apartment around the corner. He lives in a graveyard. The Bible says that he lives among the tombs. I don't quite know what that looks like or means. 
I don't think I want to know. But he's among dead things. That's what he's focused on. This is the guy that you tell your kids to stay away from. You know, moms say, you know, hey, when, when you hear the chains clanging, you run home, sweetie, okay, right? Like, you, you get out of there. If you hear that, you, you, you just start running home. You don't stop. This guy is obviously an extreme example of what demonization can do to somebody. I mean, extreme, extreme, extreme example. Now, what I don't buy is that this guy woke up one morning and thought, oh, you know what, clothes are optional. Yeah, this house is a little too small for me. I think I'm going to go live in the tombs. And I want to be known as the naked, crazy guy that screams all day and cuts himself living in the cemetery. That's my plan for my life. I don't think he woke up one morning and think, man, if I could achieve that, I will have done something with my life. No. Nobody looks, nobody sets out to do that. Nobody makes a plan to do that. It's a slow fade. I sometimes wish that I would actually, we'd get like a little glimpse of, of how this man got to the place where he is that we now find him in Mark chapter 5. Because I'm sure it was a slow fade of things that had happened, things that he had done, sins that he had committed, things that had been done to him time and time and time again as a slow fade and descent into the place that we find him today. Anyways, this demon-possessed guy, demon, demonized man, comes from the tombs to meet Jesus. In Mark chapter 5, verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. This man runs to Jesus. I mean, literally, just runs as fast as he can. He sees Jesus, and he just starts running towards Jesus, falls to his knees in worship and humility before God. This man is at the end of himself, we don't even know how he knows who Jesus is. I don't know if it was the demons that actually told him who Jesus was. He just found out who Jesus was and knew that this was his last and only hope of help. And so he runs to Jesus as fast as he can. And then something changes drastically in just one verse. We see this in verse 7. He shouts at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Whoa. Something, something switched here. And I need you to see this, that, that this man came to Jesus and fell in, to his knees in worship asking for help. But now, this is not the man speaking. This is the, the demon speaking through the man. Now, how do we know this? Because of verse 8. Verse 8 says, For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. So Jesus addresses the spirit, and the spirit responds. And in verse 7, if you really kind of take a look at that, it tells us so much about what demons know and what they don't know. Take a look at it. Verse 7, what's the first thing we see? The first thing we see is that, Jesus, is that they know, demons know, who Jesus is. In fact, they bring a, the, probably one of the best definitions of who Jesus is, more clear, more definitive than some of Jesus' followers at this time. They come running up, and this is what they say. They call him Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Now, Jesus, you know, had these followers, and he'd be like, well, who, who do people say that I am? Well, people knew him as a teacher, or as a rabbi, a miracle worker, a healer. 
Maybe some even thought that maybe he was John the Baptist or that Elijah come back and all these things. But the demons, they knew exactly, exactly who Jesus was. Son of the Most High God. However, even though they acknowledged Jesus for who he was, they weren't Christians. Do you see that? I mean, these demons weren't saved and redeemed, right? They, 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 they knew who Jesus was. They essentially had demonic faith where they acknowledged that Jesus was the Son of the Most High God. But let me remind you, we are only saved through surrendering to Jesus and making him Lord of our life. And I, and, and, and I say this as a warning really for, for, for the church as a whole, that we would not stop at demonic faith, that we would go to saving faith. Because demonic faith is just acknowledging, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I believe he was a dude, I believe he was a guy, I believe the Bible, I believe that he was the son of the most high God, even, that's demonic faith. Let me just tell you, demons aren't saved. Saving faith is when you take that and say, I believe that he is who he says that he is, and I make him my Lord and my Savior, and I want to walk with him and talk with him. Lord, I pray that you would infill me with your Holy Spirit. That is the difference between demonic faith and saving faith. It's, it's, it's huge. The demons don't love Jesus. They know who he is, but they don't love him. They're, they're simply scared to death of him. They're freaking out. But they don't love him. There's, there's nothing endearing here. So they know who he is. The second thing that they know is that they know that they should be darn well scared of him. And they are. They're, they're freaking out. They say this, what do you want with me? They're like, oh no. Then they say this, in God's name, don't torture me. They know that Jesus can and do anything he wants to do with these demonic powers. There's no like fight. There's no like bring it. We got like tons of us and one of you. Let's take it on, Jesus. They're scared to death. There's no fight. There's no, oh, who's going to win, the darkness or the light? There's, they know that they're losers. Please hear this. They know they're losers, and I love it. Why? Because it's like, it's like when you see a bully get what's, what, what's coming to him. You ever seen someone like a bully, and then you see a bigger bully or someone come up and just, boom, and you're like, yes. You're like, that's not Christian, but oh, yeah, that feels good. When you see a bully just get put in his place, it's like these, these demons have been terrorizing and bullying this. They're not used to pleading and begging. And all of a sudden, these bullies just get confronted with Jesus, and he's, they're like, please, don't hurt us. It's not what they're used to. And I love it. Verse 9, Jesus asked them, what's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Now this term legion is, it's actually a term that's, uh, that's used as a unit of soldiers. Um, it's a unit of, of over 6,000 soldiers. It's a lot of soldiers. So he says, we are legion for we are many. Now, I don't know if we're supposed to necessarily take that literally. Um, I don't think that he's like, yes, we are 6,826 soldiers or, or demons in this man. The point is this. This poor man is overrun with demons. Overrun. So, not only do demons exist, but the second point is this. Jesus really does 
cast them out. Jesus really does cast them out. Mark chapter 5, verse 10. It says, I love this. And he begged Jesus, this demon, again and again not to send them out of the area. And then it gets weird. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Put us in the pigs. Allow us to go into the pigs. And so Jesus gives them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs, and the herd, think about this, put yourself in this situation, about 2,000 oinkers start rushing down the steep bank into the lake and are drowned. What? Creating the very first deviled ham. I'm here all week. Come on. This is the first mention of the swine flu. No? No? Come on. All right, fine. I'm trying. I'm trying. I love how these, these demons are begging and pleading with Jesus. They literally have to wait on Jesus for permission and instruction of what to do. These bullies have been tormenting this poor man and are scared and powerless and when they're confronted by Jesus. And you need to know, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, that Jesus doesn't just cast out demons, but he gives believers authority to do it as well. That as a believer in Christ, you have been given the authority by Jesus to cast out demons As a Christian, whether that be from yourself or, or in others or people that are around, like you've been given that authority. We see this. One of the instances is in Jesus sends out the 72 followers two by two. And this is before they're even filled with the Holy Spirit in, in the book of Acts. I mean, they're just, they're followers of Jesus. So this is awesome. He says in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the 72 returned with joy. They've been going out and, and ministering and, and praying for people. And this is what they had to say to Jesus, Lord. Even the demons submit to us in your name. It was awesome. And Jesus didn't say, really? Are you kidding me? No, this is his reply. Oh, yeah. I saw Satan fall like lightning. It was awesome. When, when, when we sent him out of heaven, it was like faster than lightning. He was like, gone, right? This is how Jesus responds. He's like, yeah, 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 guys. So, I mean, I, that's pretty cool. I'm glad for you guys experienced that. But here's the reality. Like, they're, they're, they're a bunch of losers. They're a bunch of losers. And he continues. He says, and I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Now, we find out in the next chapter, in Luke chapter 11, he's not talking about like snakes and scorpions. He's talking about demons. So I've given you authority to trample on demons and to overcome all the power of the enemy. And then he says this, nothing will harm you. Good news. Listen, and if it worked for these, these 72 that hadn't yet received the, the, the Holy Spirit, how much more authority and power do you walk in that, that now you have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling on the inside of you? Come on. 
He continues in, in, in verse 15. He says this. When they, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Now, I want you to see how, how, how like the before and after photo. He's sitting there, dressed. Someone gave him some clothes. Hallelujah. And in his right mind. And they were afraid. Look at how, look how fast this guy changes. I mean, it's like he's just sitting there like all like just crossing. He's got his hair combed, cut his easy top beard. He's now a sharp dressed man. Anyway, he's, I, I'm sorry. And so he's, I'm not sorry. And so he's sitting there. He's all quaffed. He's got his and he's, and he's sitting there, and he's just taking notes. Jesus, that's a great point, Jesus. Thank you very much for that. And the guys, the people come back. They're like, where's the, de where's the demoniac? I know he's around here someplace. He's a freak, right? And they're like, oh, that's him right there. They're like, no, 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 no. That's, that's, that. that's not him. Oh, no, 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 that's him. Can I tell you that that is what Jesus wants to do in each of our lives, that he can change you in an instant, and the more desperate you are, the more stark the contrast. I love this before and after photo of this guy that before he meets Jesus and after he meets Jesus and before he meets Jesus, we can look at someone like this and think, man, you are so far gone. I mean, look, I don't even want to know what you did last summer. I don't even want to know the things that led you to the place that you're at right now. There's nothing. It's going to take years for you to get over this, Mr. Demoniac. I mean, you're not, if you're ever going to be a whole person, it's going to be a miracle. Exactly. Exactly. And we see this guy, just after being ministered to Jesus, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. It's exactly what it is that God wants to do in each of our lives. As we run to him, he brings freedom. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> this, uh, I want to just keep, just finish up with this, with this story. He says, uh, as Jesus was getting into the boat, so they're all like, leave, Jesus, you're freaking us out. You killed all our pigs. And uh, Jesus like, okay, well, I came here for what I came here for, to free this man. And so he gets back into his boat, and the Bible says in, in verse 18, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Please, can I, can I go too? I mean, I got nothing here. I, I got no place. I got these clothes on my body now. They're not even mine. And can I just, can I just go with you? That would, that would, be, that would be awesome. And I want you to just notice all the begging going on in this story. I mean, the demons beg to go into the pigs. The, the townspeople beg for Jesus to leave. And the former demoniac begs to go with Jesus. And the only one that actually has some really good, like, good heart in this is this former demoniac that's just like, I want to go on this journey with you. Uh, it's going to be like a never-ending Bible study. This sounds, this sounds awesome. And we find out in verse 19 how Jesus responds to him. He says, Jesus did not let him. But you, like, you got an extra spot right there in the boat. Why, why can't I go? Jesus says this, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And it must have felt like a rejection. It would for me. Dude, I just, I'm brand new to this thing. Like, I had a bunch of demons and you're just going to leave me now? Like, what, what, 
it must have felt like rejection to him. Can I just tell you, though, that sometimes Jesus' no is actually the best thing for us. And it feels like rejection, and it feels like, well, I don't understand. Like, why would you not want me to, to go on this never-ending Bible study with you? Why, why in the world would you say no to this thing that seems good, that, that you, would, you would want me to do, right? Like, it seems like something you would want me to do. But sometimes it's Jesus' no to us that is actually the best thing for us. Because Jesus had a call on this man's life that looks like many of our callings, actually. Like many of our callings, and this is it. He essentially says, I want you to stay here in your hometown and I want you to tell everyone who you were and who you are now and what I've done. Can I just tell you, apart from the word of God, your greatest spiritual warfare weapon is your story. And God is like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I've just given you a weapon. You don't see it as a weapon. You see it as something, a, a thing of shame, a thing that you want to run away from, a thing that you just like to, to go to a new place and have a new start. And, and maybe if I can just outrun my past, then I won't have to confront it. And I don't want anybody to know about it because I'm not proud of it. But, 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 but Jesus is like, no, you don't understand. Your past and, and the story of what I've done in your life is actually one of the greatest weapons of warfare against the demonic. And when we fail to pick up our story and say, oh, no, 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 you, you, think, you think you're too far gone? I love it. I would love to, you know, ha have him talking to somebody. They're like, oh, you don't understand what I've done. You know, I, Jesus can't forgive me. Of my, uh, oh, really? You, sit down, sit down. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about what Jesus did in my life. You think you've done too much? You think you're too far gone? You think you've got too many demons? I got the record, Okay. And it's this reality that sometimes the very thing that we're running from is our calling to. And the greatest weapon we've been given is our story. And he continues, he says, so the man went away, I love this, and he took up his weapon. It says it began to tell in the, Deca the, 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 the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. They were amazed. I want to encourage you today. I know we've been talking a lot about demons and stuff, and you're like, oh, ooh. I, don't want you to, I don't want that to freak you out. I wanted to encourage you today that we just read an account of a, of a man that was tormented beyond anything that we've ever seen. And let me tell you, you, you may feel like, you know, I got some, maybe some strongholds, some things that like, I feel like God is, is bringing up and pointing out, but I guarantee you it is not as bad as this guy. I mean, you're fully clothed and not living in a cemetery. So hallelujah for that. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. It's just this reality. And the Lord showed me this. Here's what the Lord showed me. Satan does not have the power to stop you from coming to Jesus. He may have had a whole kind of influence over this man. This guy's got hunt, like thousands of demons. I just want you to see this. Satan did not have the power to stop that man from running to Jesus. 6,000 demons could not stop him from running to Jesus. I just want you to know your past, the things that you've been a part of, the things that you're running from, I just want you to know none of that can stop you from running 
to Jesus. So if you're in a place where you're like, well, I just don't know. I don't know how I feel about all this. I just want to encourage you, just run to Jesus. Because he's, he's the freedom maker. He's the one that, he's the bondage breaker. He's the one that can, that can take all, the, the, the junk that, that, we, that we can give him. And it's the, the best exchange policy. It's better than, it's better than L.L. Bean used to be. <laughs> when you just take it in and be like, that's all I got. And it's worn out and it's ruined and... And he says, well, I can't have you walking around in that. Here you go. Here's something brand new. Wear it. You are clothed in righteousness. You are my son, my daughter. His main goal is freedom in your life. So maybe for you today, I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're in a place of like, I know that I maybe have demonic faith. I believe that Jesus is the son of God, but I've never actually took the step of surrendering myself to him. And I just want to encourage you to not leave this place without having an opportunity to do that. So if you feel like if God has just been kind of knocking on your door and you don't necessarily know what to do, I just want to, just between you and him right now, just raise your hand and say, God, I, I'm, I'm hearing you right now. I know that you're calling me. And I don't necessarily know what to do with it, but I sense it right now. If that's you, I just want you to pray. I, I just pray with me. There's nothing magical about this prayer. It's just saying, God, I take... This, this Jesus, Son of God, and make him my Lord. And it's simple. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I am most in need of a Savior. I've screwed this thing up, and I desperately need help. And so I run to you today, and I ask that you would be my Lord and my Savior today. I believe that you came, that you died, that you rose again to make a way for me where there was no way. And so I receive you today. I pray that you'd fill me from the top of my head to the tip of my toes. Have your way in me. In Jesus' name, amen. We ended this worship song today, and I just want to encourage you. Maybe God has got something that he's been stirring in you today. Maybe you need to just run to Jesus. Maybe you need to get out of your seat and just say, you know what, I'm going to come and do business with my Lord today. I know there's something that he's stirring in me, and, and I am, I'm making a proclamation today that today is the day of my freedom. And I'm no longer going to allow this thing to have a hold over me anymore. Jesus wants to bring freedom in that area. And if you need prayer in any area of your life, maybe, maybe you need prayer for healing, right on, along the sides up here, we'll have some prayer team that will come and pray God into your situation. But I just want to encourage you as we lift up this song today, and it, the, the lyrics of this song are perfect. So if you don't know a prayer to pray, I just want you to pray this song. May it be your heartbeat to God when you have no words to say, but just release it over him. Lord, we thank you. Let's lift his name up. Lift him up. Lift him up.